past, past couple of weeks, we've been looking at David, the life of David. We've been looking at it through the lens of these two things that are really important to us. Romans 8.29, that we'd be conformed to the image of Jesus. And Ephesians 2.10, that God has good work that he created in advance for us to do. We said those are two key anchors for us. To me, they're things that are super important to God because he says in Romans and in Ephesians, I've set this stuff up beforehand. So if he's going to do that, if he said before I created anything and already decided these were the things I'm going to do, I'm going to conform people to my image and I'm going to create good stuff for you to walk in. Well, then for me, it makes pretty good sense for us to get on board with that because obviously it's important to him. So we've been looking at David through those lenses. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart, so he had the character thing down. He was someone who um, over time was conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. He obviously had some huge... Um, sin issues in his life that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. But overall, during his life, he was conformed more and more to the image of Jesus, and he had a deal. That's our shorthand for the good works that God created for us to do. He had a deal to do. It was to be the shepherd of the people of Israel. And for us, as you know, kind of looking at it, there's a book and a half, all of Second um, Samuel and the first half of First Samuel, plus Chronicles, actually, that give us insight into what it looks like for this guy to do his deal. If you want to kind of break it down, there's a discovery phase, and that's what we looked at last week. That's when you when you discover what your deal is. We said that God determines our deal. We discover it. And many of you already have. Some of you haven't, and you don't need to get frustrated about that. You just need to keep asking and seeking, and God will show you, and he'll show you when it's time to show you. It can be super frustrating, but just hang in there. The second thing we said last week is that our hearts are primary. And a few weeks ago, we looked at some ways to put our hearts constantly in front of God so that he can change them. We said we've got to create more space for him to work. We've got to take a risk. And that risk creates a trust gap where we need God to step in between what we know we can do and what we intend to do. There's a gap there. And that gap is where we need God to fill in. So take a risk. And we also said at times we need to be willing to choose against ourselves. All of those things are things that we can do that um, live out the reality that our hearts are primary, that God is concerned with changing our hearts, working in our hearts, making them more like Jesus. Last week we also said God saves seats. Your deal is your deal. It's not mine. You have a race to run. That's in Ephesians 12. I can't run your race for you, and you can't run my race. And so you don't have to manipulate and scratch and claw and get anxious about that. He'll, he'll save your seat until you're ready and until he's ready so you still haven't figured it out don't worry about it you're not going to lose the opportunity if you're honestly seeking and then we say god will confirm what it is that he's called us to do so that's where we've been this week i want to look you know we kind of did the discovery thing last week then after you figure out what your deal is there's this stretch of time um we i don't know what you want to call it we can call it the development phase of kind of doing your deal it's kind of like when you're a student teacher if you've ever had a student teacher. There's someone who, um, they're not, they kind of have training wheels. They're not fully a teacher yet, but they do a lot of the stuff. You know, they, they teach one or two classes, and then over the course of the quarter or semester, they wind up taking the whole class, but it's still not their class. It's still the supervising teacher's class. That's, a lot of us are in that phase when it comes to doing our deal. We know what it is, but we're not fully engaged. Kind of that last phrase, if we want to use another D word, because why not? It would be deployment when you're fully engaged and you're fully doing your deal. So it's when David became the king. So when he's 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, he discovers, hey, I'm going to be 
the shepherd of Israel. I'm going to be the king. And it's not until he's 30 that he, that he actually takes the throne. And so in that interim 15, 16, 17, 18-year period, it's not for nothing. That's when he's developing. He's a student teacher. He has training wheels on it. it there is a preparatory element where God is working in his life, but there's also this expectation that you'll be doing your deal then anyway. Once God shows you what your deal is, his expectation is you're going to start doing it. Now, like you're not going to wait. If he's the one that determines when he shares this to you, when he reveals this to you, shares this with you and reveals this to you, then for us, the understanding should be, once he does, he expects us to do something with it. Not to say, okay, that's great, I'll get to that when, dot, dot, dot. You know, you might not be fully deployed for five years or ten years or 25 years. I don't know that. But I do know that from the moment you get it, when you feel like the light's gone on, you feel like God is, this is the thing for me. These are the good works God's created for me to do. He expects you. that At that point, that becomes revelation for you, and we're all responsible for the revelation that we have. Then Luke, I think it's 15. If you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, Kind of a, it's kind of a tough picture. You get beaten with many gloves. That's the picture. So if you've been, if you've received this revelation, if you've discovered what your thing is, God's expectation is you're going to start doing it now, not at some point in the future. Again, you might not be doing it fully, but you're you're going to be a student teacher. You're you got your training wheels on. You're trying to walk towards it whatever that looks like. One thing before we jump into David, and, and this week we are going to look at kind of that 15-year gap uh, as much as we can in the next few minutes. We might not, might not make it through. So in the, um, this 15-year gap, which covers 1 Samuel 16, the second half of that, all the way through the end of 1 Samuel. If you want to read that this week, you can see what it looks like to live in that student-teacher training wheel kind of developmental phase. But before we do, let me just say this real quick. Your deal is not your job, period. If you think back to when you were 18, those of you who are over 18, I want you to think about every job you've had from 18 to now. Go through. I've had 14. My best job was this one. My worst job was I worked at Honey Baked Ham over Christmas. I wrapped the hams after they were glazed, scraped the fat off of them. I had to wear a hairnet. It was awesome. I haven't eaten a honey-baked ham in 15 years. You talk to me, you won't eat one again either. My worst job. Neither one of those things, my worst job or my best job, neither one is my deal. And neither is yours. Your job is your job. It's how you pay the bills. It puts food on the table. For most of us, we've got to have them. But for none of us, they're, they're not our deals. Most people have 8 to 15 jobs once they become what they would consider full-time working career-wise, so not counting your Christmas jobs and all that. My opinion, you have kind of one overarching deal that controls your life. It'll look different at different times. Ideally, your job would be conducive to you doing your deal. But don't confuse what you do for a living and your deal. Brandon, I, he and I are, are pretty good friends, so I can say this for him. He can disagree later. His job is he's the president of Gaskin Surveying and Engineering. That's how he pays the bills. His career is engineering. That's what he went to Georgia Tech for, and that's his field, is engineering. 
But his deal is neither of those things. His deal is influencing leaders for Jesus, which thankfully for him, his position at Gaskins allows him to do. But if, you know, if something happens and Gaskins goes away or he leaves, that doesn't change his deal. It just changes his job. And the, the, for David, his job was to be the king. His deal was to shepherd the people of Israel. You can be very good at your job and stink at doing your deal. One of the best kings in Israel is a guy named Omri who you've never heard of. And you haven't heard of him because he gets this much space in the Bible because he was awful in terms of what being a shepherd. He was wicked to the core. But politically, Israel was strongest during his time. He did more to strengthen Israel militarily and politically than any other king, maybe except for Solomon. So if you were ranking who did their job the best, Omri's got to be in your top one, two, or three. But did he do his deal? Did he shepherd the people of Israel? He was a complete failure. You can be incredible at your job and not do your deal. So you, I, I want to make that distinction for you. Just because you're not in the workforce also doesn't mean you don't have a deal. Some people have retired. Some people have chosen to pull themselves out. Some of you maybe have a trust fund and you don't have to work. You're a full-time student and you get whatever. Don't confuse those things. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. If you read through the Old Testament particularly, this is not to discourage you, but most people worked until the day they died. They did their deal until they died. There's not some point at which you can say, I'm done. I've put in my time. Your deal is your role in establishing and advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. The kingdom of God is his rule, his reign, his order, and his desire, according to Jesus, is for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that will never happen fully and completely until Jesus comes back, but God's intention is for his rule or reign, his order, to be established and advanced more and more every day here in Marietta and around the world. And he does that through us. It's his kingdom, but he works through us. And your deal is your role in establishing and advancing that. If you're lucky enough or fortunate enough or blessed enough, whatever adjective you want to use, that your job is conducive to your deal, praise the Lord. If you're not, if your job is not conducive to your deal, you're still responsible to do it anyway. They're, they're, they're two separate things. This might be tricky. I say this as a parent of four. Being a parent is not your deal. Some of you are called to be mothers and fathers. And you can probably, those of you who've been Christians for a long time can probably look back and say, this man was a father to me. He was a spiritual father. This woman was a spiritual mother. That is it for some of you. And if that, that's you, you were, a, you were a mom before you were a mom and you'll be a mom, and, you have, and you're going to be a mom when your kids are gone, spiritually. You mother people who aren't just ones living under your own roof, or you father people who aren't just living under your own roof. They're, that is legitimately, yes. That is, your, that is the deal for some of you. But there are many of us who are parents, but that's not our deal, any more than Brandon's deal is to be the president of Gaskins. They're different, I get it. Being a parent's massively time-consuming. It's incredibly important. You are in a, if you're doing it as a Christian, you can say, yes, I'm helping establish and advance the kingdom of God here in these kids. 
But what I want to say, and I, again, I say this in humility and a little bit of fear, is it's not your deal, most likely. You had a deal before you had kids. And you're going to have a deal when your kids are graduating. And that thing on either of those bookends, there's, there's something overarching. Some of you, many of you, some of you, I don't know, stay home. You're full-time with your children. It takes a lot. I get it. My wife does that. My encouragement to you is in the middle of that, ask the Lord what your deal is and do it as you raise your kids. Give that away to your children. Whatever your thing is, whatever your deal is, give that to your children. Make it a key part of parenting. And ask the Lord for grace. How do I live this thing out? And I've got kids hanging off my back and I'm running carpool and I haven't gotten good sleep in seven years. In the middle of all of that, how am I? Just ask him and he'll show you. I don't say that to belittle parenting at all. Again, I'm, I'm one. But just to encourage you that that, unless you really feel like your thing is to mother or to father, and you're doing that outside of your brood, most likely being a parent is not, it's not your deal. There's something else out there which will, you can fully integrate into your parenting. I hope that's okay. If not, remember that. All right, 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So Jonathan is Saul's son. David has just killed Goliath. He's had some long conversation with Saul. And then Saul is pulling him into his court. You're one of my guys now. So Jonathan, Saul's son, who should be the one who takes the throne when Saul dies, makes his covenant with David. And they're brothers from that moment on. We're going to talk about this more next week, but as you're developing in your deal, one of the things you need to expect and look for and try to cultivate are heart friends. You've got to have it. You're not meant to do this thing on your own. What we do, we do in community. And you need to expect, look for, and cultivate those type of heart friends, people who love you and love Jesus. We'll talk about that more next week. Verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. So as you're doing your deal, even with training wheels on, even as a student teacher, there should be fruit. There should be some fruit there, and it'll come in two areas. There'll be fruit that it's just results. That's David. is He's winning battles. If you're, if you're a shepherd, if that's your thing. So David is the shepherd of Israel. Shepherds protect the sheep. So there's military victories. That's fruit in this result category. And there's also fruit relationally. It says all the people. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. You're going to have both. When you're doing your deal, there should be fruit in terms of stuff that you've accomplished. You should have a track record and people you've impacted. There ought to be a list of people, and it might only be two or three at the beginning. There should be people who've been positively influenced by you doing your deal. And there should be stuff that you can look, almost like a resume. This is what I've done as the shepherd. David is not the king. He won't be the king for years, but there's fruit around him doing his deal. And there will be for you as well. That's, again, why God expects you to go ahead and get after it. 
because there's going to be fruit even before you're fully doing your thing. As a student teacher, with your training wheels on, there's stuff. There should be fruit. Now, some of you are more task-oriented than relational or relationship-oriented. If that's you, you, the thing you need to watch out for is having this long list of accomplishments, but you don't have any relational fruit. That probably means you're manipulating people. You're using them to accomplish your purpose. And that's easy if you're a task-oriented person because for task-oriented people, the most important thing is just getting things done. That's what we do. It's, we want to be efficient. We want to be excellent. We want to get things done. And people are things that we use to get things done. We never think that intentionally or consciously, but if you look, at the, if you look back over our life, that's what you see. A long list of accomplishments and an equally long list of broken relationships. So if, just, if that's you, you just need to be aware. And just say, you know what, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's prone to, put it, to, to getting stuff done, even at the expense of relationships. I tend to look at tasks as more important than people. If that, you just need to admit that if that's you. And, just, and ask God and say, God, I, I, I need your help. I know that you love people more than you love anything else. So you've got to help me do that. That's not the way I'm bent. You've got to help straighten me out in this way. I know very few people who have relational fruit that doesn't have accompanying results-oriented fruit. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a ditch too many people fall into. But many people can have kind of this task-oriented fruit with a, a trail of broken bodies. If that's you, just look out for that. If you're not seeing fruit, and you should be, maybe not the first day, but over time, you should see some fruit. You might not think it's very impressive, but there should be something there. If there's nothing there, then something's wrong. Again, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the expectation there is if you're connected to Jesus, then there should be fruit in your life. If there's not, then something's wrong. Either you're disconnected from him, which is very easy where we live, very easy to drift apart from the Lord. That's why we said it's important to create space for him on a regular basis. But it, it could be something else. In Mark 4, Matthew 13, the parable, I think it's in Luke 8, there's a parable of the soils. And in that parable, the soils represent our heart. And there's four kinds of soil. There's four conditions that our heart can be in. It can be hard like a path that can't receive anything from God. It can be shallow, like rocky soil, where the seed, the grace of God or the word of God can take root. Something springs up pretty quick, but when persecution comes, when trouble comes, that plant withers and dies because there are no roots. The soil is shallow. Your, your, your heart could be crowded like weedy soil. Yes, the, the word or the, the grace of God can take root, and it can grow, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff growing with it, and it chokes out what God wants to do in your life. And so you don't bear any fruit. And Jesus says those things that choke it out, they're not necessarily sinful things. It's the worries of this world and the cares of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. It's not necessarily sinful behaviors. It's just the stuff of living. And then there's good soil that produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. If you're not seeing fruit, my first thing for you would be, are you connected? Would you say, that you're connected to Jesus. And my second thing would be, what's the condition of your heart? And be honest. Is it hard? Are there places in your heart that are hard where the reason you're not, you're not bearing fruit is because nothing can get planted in there? If your heart's hard, most likely it's either because of some type of um, 
continuous sin issue, something you just haven't dealt with, or because you haven't, you've chosen not to forgive somebody, and bitterness has set in, and that can make your heart really crushed. Is it because your heart is shallow? You, you know you, there's stuff in here, but you don't have any roots. And so when things get hard, you just take your ball and go home. If that's you, the only solution I know to that is, again, create more space. Spend more time so your roots can go deep. There will be people who, who read this week. They saw the news. They read the newspaper. And but honestly, because their roots aren't deep in the Lord, they're out. Well, if that's who he is, then I'm not doing that. You need deep roots to get you through tough times. And those deep roots only come by spending time with the Lord. It could be that your heart is just crowded. Very common. I would say most common here where we live. Very easy for weeds to encroach in your heart. The cares of this life, the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth. That's just being busy. And if, if that's you, that's going to choke out the fruit that God wants to produce in you. So that was my first question, are you connected? Second question, what's the condition of your heart? If both of those things are good, honestly, then you can expect there to be fruit. You just, maybe you haven't seen it yet, but it'll be there. If there's something off on either one of those two, you're most likely not going to experience very much fruit in your life, and you should, because God made this thing for you to do, and he made you to do this thing. And so when you do it, there should be success. Read 1 Samuel 18. Read how many times you see, see how many times it says David did this successfully. Multiple times throughout. He was successful, he was successful, he was successful. There was fruit because he was doing his deal, even though he wasn't a king. Um, we'll quit. We'll quit here in an awkward place to quit. Um, let's do this. Is Bo in here? Let's close with communion, and um, I'm going to pray, and we'll kind of see where we head.